I wanted to take the Christmas story, a pretty famous story, and identify who are the candidates in the story for the person of the year in the year that Jesus was born. And, uh, you know, or some comparable award for their accomplishment. You know, people whose actions shaped the course of the history of the world, because a lot of it happened right there. So we're going to look in Luke chapter 2, starting verse 1 says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. So our first candidate really, poor Quirinius, he doesn't even get mentioned but other than in this uh, spot in the whole Bible, but um, is Caesar Augustus. He's really the uh, man of the month, <laughs> if you think about it. Let me explain it. I mean, the Romans took a census about every 14 years, and the purpose was for taxation, and it was also for, uh, to determine compulsory military service. And their census was kind of similar to our census, which we do here in America about uh, every 10 years. And the census was ordered by Caesar Augustus, who was considered the first Roman emperor. His original name was Caius Octavius, and he was born in 63 BC. And he began to reign in 27 BC when he was 36 years old. And then he died in 14 AD when he was 77. Historically, Caesar Augustus was a very, very important figure. He was a powerful military leader. He defeated uh, Mark Anthony. He united the empire. He established uh, the Pax Romana. He built roads and cities and was a patron of the arts. One ancient saying claimed that when he arrived, Rome was a city made of brick. And when he left, Rome was a city made of marble. Well, in 27 BC, the Roman Senate gave to him the title Augustus, which means consecrated or holy. Essentially, they declared that their emperor was a god. And at his funeral, Roman citizens comforted themselves with the belief that as a god, he was immortal and he lived forever. And with his new name and his title of Caesar Augustus, the Roman Senate further honored him by renaming the month formerly known as uh, Sextilis. They called it August. And we've retained this honor now for over 2,000 years. You know, every summer we have the 31-day month of August named after him. So the month of August is named in the honor of Caesar Augustus. And the year 2019 is actually based on the date of the birth of Jesus Christ. So ironically, these two men that were alive at the same time, Caesar Augustus, emperor of the world, and Jesus, born in Bethlehem, never met. Augustus was about 60 years older than Jesus, and it was the decree of Augustus that set the circumstances for the birth of Jesus. I mean, his decree for a census in the city of your ancestry is what prompted Joseph and Mary, which King James says she was great with child, she was uh, very expecting, to leave home in Nazareth and race the 80 miles uh, to Bethlehem, which the place was overflowing with other people who had the same requirement, which caused the inn to be overfilled, which caused Mary to have nowhere uh, to uh, give birth to her baby except in a barn and place him in the feed trough for a bed, the manger. You know, the prophet Micah had predicted 700 years earlier that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. But it was Caesar Augustus' decree that forced it to happen at the last minute. So I want you to notice something here. God accomplishes his great purposes in this world through the people that he chooses to use, even if they don't know it. 
even if they don't love the Lord or pray to the Lord or ask him to direct their life, he just he uses the people that he needs. So a president or a king can be used by God to accomplish great purposes, even if they don't acknowledge God at all. They are putty in the hands of God. They think they're in charge, but God uses them at will to do what he wants done. Other examples in the Bible would include Pharaoh, who tried to stand in the way of God saying, let my people go. Or Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel. So I assume that Caesar Augustus, the man of the month, died without ever knowing that the savior of the world was born in his empire during his reign. In fact, other than his month, his name is hardly ever mentioned except in its place in the story of the details of Jesus' birth. So enter Caesar Augustus as our first candidate for person of all time. Our second contestant really is a, a, a couple, a husband and wife, a team, Joseph and Mary. Look at verse 4. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. I want you to know, just stop for a moment, you've got real places and real people Somebody was talking about Mormons once and said, Mormons are the nicest people. And if I could ever read the map, I would believe what they had to say and I would become a Mormon. But they're fictional places. And here you have real people, real places. Nazareth, you can still visit today. Bethlehem, you can still visit today. And so Joseph and Mary are going from Nazareth to Bethlehem to be registered. Joseph is going with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they're there, the time came for her to give birth. So, somebody explained once, do you know the secret to a good joke, timing? <laughs> what it says here is while they were born, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. The Bible says in the fullness of time, God came into this world as a baby. His mother wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in the manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Here Caesar Augustus was about 60 years old at the time. He's the emperor, Roman emperor of the world. And in this much smaller setting, in this little obscure town of Bethlehem, which is the only thing famous that had ever happened there, was uh, David had been born there as the eighth son of Jesse. He ended up becoming the king of Israel. Um, so here's the couple of the year, Joseph and Mary. They're strangers in the village, really. A man and his wife who've walked 80 miles from their home in Nazareth at the worst possible time because she is so pregnant to register for the census just because way back at a certain point in time, some of Joseph's ancestors had lived there because he was from the, the line of King David. So last month, I had a friend who's from Nigeria who we knew in our ministry in Northern California, and she was having a big birthday, turning 70, and she wanted us to come and celebrate. So for, we went up there for a day, and it happened to take us right past, we had to drive literally right through the little town where 
I went to high school and uh, we lived and uh, the church where Cindy and I were married. And so I said, well, well, let's stop and see it. Uh, It's been 38 years. At the time, it was a Baptist church that just seemed to want to fight with each other all the time. And and now it's a Greek Orthodox church. And they have, they've added a building. They've refurbished the parking lot. They've obviously painted. They've kept the place up. And we ran into a stranger in, in the parking lot who asked us if we needed help. And we said to her, with probably more excitement than she cared, she, we said, we were married here. Well, she didn't care. So she didn't know us, you know. And so then we stopped by uh, our old family house where we had lived about three miles from the church. And they were taking good care of it. But we didn't knock. We didn't know them. And then we had lunch at the Chinese restaurant where we had had our rehearsal dinner. And the guy there just seemed to have been there a long time. I said, how long have you been here? He said, 35 years. I said, oh, well, three years before you ever got here. This is where we had, in this restaurant, this is where we had our rehearsal dinner. He didn't care. And, and then we drove past uh, the high school. And I had the thought, you know, it was so good to leave that behind. I, I, don't, I don't even need to stop there. And, you know, so we, we'd gone back to, I mean, we knew the places. We recognized things. But nobody recognized us. We were basically strangers in that town now. And that's the way Joseph and Mary were when they got to Bethlehem. It was the home of their ancestry, but they didn't really have any connection there anymore. Now, airlines won't let a woman board a plane to travel within 30 days of her delivery without a statement signed by her doctor. And the airlines don't want to have the risk of having the baby born during the flight. But Mary here is nine months pregnant, is traveling with Joseph to obey Caesar's edict. And if they get there soon enough, they'll only have to pay taxes on two people, not three. So I can imagine Joseph say, hurry, 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 hurry. And she didn't really like that. But maybe I'm just making that up. You know, when they arrive in Bethlehem, it's packed with tourists already and other taxpayers. And there's no vacancy at the local inn. And so Joseph and Mary are offered space in the courtyard where the animals are bedded down and fed. And her baby is coming soon. And before better accommodations are secured, Mary's birth contractions start. And the courtyard is a very public place. And there's no privacy. There's no soft bed. There's no doctor. There's no midwife. There's no heart rate monitor. And on and on and on and on. And when the baby finally arrives, she wraps it in swaddling clothes, which was is kind of, I mean, it looked like a tadpole where you'd put the larger cloth around the baby and then uh, wrap it around him. Hugged and kissed him and finally laid him in the manger. A feed trough. <laughs> well, what options did she have? I mean, the ground was probably muddy and who knows what else is down there. And, and uh, this is the baby, you understand, uh, just to see the divergence. This is the baby that has been pre-announced by angels to the mother and to the father. And he's born in a barn. He's born in obscurity. He's born while the family is a long way uh, from home, on the run. And he's born earthly parents who are doing their very best to take good care of him under difficult circumstances. So enter Joseph and Mary as contestants for people of the year. Because their love and their care and their attention brought the Savior safely into the world. And the world's never been the same. Our third contestant would be the shepherds. (laughs) Shepherds. Anonymous shepherds in the light for a night. So, I mean, these are the nominees, the shepherds. I mean, imagine the shepherds, common day laborers, really, and night laborers, because they work 24-7, living constantly outside among the sheep. And we don't even know their names. Look at verse 8. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord showed around them. They were filled with great fear. They were terrified. 
I wish that they had told us what time these kind of things happened. But I imagine it was about four in the morning, you know, when the angels could just be spectacular in the sky. <laughs> but we don't know. Most of society didn't think highly of shepherds or think about shepherds at all until they were confronted with one and it got in your way or you could smell him coming. And they're toward the bottom of the social ladder. They're poor, they're uneducated, they're considered cheats and liars. They couldn't even be, uh, they weren't even allowed to testify in court because you just assumed, of course he's lying to me. And they looked rough and they stank. And they're often on the receiving end of some ugly prejudice. After my freshman year in college, I was looking for a summer job, and so um, a friend of mine that I'd met at a zoo named Richard, um, Cindy's boyfriend at the time, um, and I were friends. And so he said, well, my dad's got a little painting business in Iowa. And I said, well, let's go paint. We could probably slap some paint on some houses and make some money. I said, in fact, we're trying to make money, so why don't we save money on the trip there? He says, what do you have in mind? I said, why don't we hitchhike from here to there? I said, how hard can it be? You put some things in a bag, you start walking, you stick out your thumb, somebody picks you up, 2,000 miles later, we're there. And uh, so, uh, you know, we didn't really ask any parents if they would vote in favor of that idea. And um, I wouldn't vote for it today for any of my kids either. But anyway, we started off. And uh, we got all the way up to Northern California. And after a long, frustrating day of a lot of rejections, a lot of cars driving by, Richard and I found ourselves on I-80 near Lake Tahoe. And uh, we'd waited at one free, we waited at this one freeway on-ramp, because you can't go up on the freeway, for over an hour in the sun. And there are seven hitchhikers all waiting on the same spot, thinking we will never get out of here. But then a guy comes along with a great big pickup truck, and of course then you could ride in the back. And so he just let everybody load up in the back of his truck. He took them all, and uh, off we went. And the driver was in the process himself of getting loaded with beer and vodka. He'd take a sip from one and then the other. And we're in the back, and he's going at high speeds and two of these guys in the truck claim at that time to, I'm not making this up they claim to be Moses and Elijah from the tribulation the great tribulation they said and they were trying to quote get off the planet and I'm cold and I'm starving and I need a shower but I don't think the great tribulation has started quite yet and I told them they're really going about it the wrong way and they said what do you mean I said well here we are at high speeds we are going horizontal if you're going to get off the planet you've got to go vertical and to do that you need Jesus now let me tell you about him they weren't interested so early the next morning Richard and I had survived the, the high speed chase and um, we had heard about a freight train that went from Sparks, Nevada to Salt Lake City. So we walk into the train yard, and wouldn't you know, a train is just starting to pull out heading east. So we run along the side of the train, about four cars up past the caboose, we throw our bags on, we jump on this train, and um, off we go. And we clambered aboard, and it's supposed to arrive in Salt Lake City in 10 hours later. Every so often it would screech to a halt in the middle of nowhere, and even one time, somebody came walking along. You could hear him on the rocks, crunch, 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 as he came, and we're hiding open. Boy, hope he doesn't find us out here. There is nothing here. And he didn't. But the, after 16 hours, it's the middle of the night, and uh, we, uh, it pulls into a train yard. We don't have a clue where we are. So I climbed to the top of the car, and I looked this way, and I looked that way, and there's more lights that way. I said, Richard, we're going that way. So we jump out of the car, we run under th three trains and over two sets of tracks and I'll climb a barbed wire fence and we walk across the field and we walk into a gas station. And the guy's looking at us like we're criminals. And I said, uh, do you have a pay phone? And he says, yeah, it's right here. And he's sitting right next to it. 
<laughs> I said, well, do you have a phone book? Because, you know, it always says where you are on the front of the phone book, right? And so he says, yeah, it's right here. I said, Richard, we're in Ogden, Utah. He says, how'd you get here? I said, oh, we came in on the train. Well, we go in the bathroom and look, we are just covered with soot from head to foot. <laughs> it's not that we were into blackface or anything. It's just that we were, we, we were covered with soot. And so uh, we got cleaned up and then we walked 10 miles back to the freeway. It was four in the morning. It was freezing. And uh, a lady picked us up and uh, we were starving. She, all she had was coffee, but she gave us some. And uh, so we had some coffee and then we got back on the road. And we got to Sinclair, Wyoming in the middle of that afternoon. It was hot. And we decided to walk from the interstate, it looked like it was only a couple hundred yards, uh, to a drugstore to get something cold to drink. And the entire police force of Sinclair, Wyoming, that's where there's a great big uh, uh, green dinosaur, uh, uh, accosted us and said, uh, you know, what do you boys need? And we said, well, we're going to go get a cold drink. And he says, well, there's a store. He says, but don't plan on sticking around here very long because we don't need your type here. (laughs) Oh wonder what that okay and that night we slept in the ditch alongside the freeway and shivered through the night you know most people who gave us rides were not fine upstanding citizens they were low lifes just like us they just happened to have four wheels and uh, several were drinking as they were driving and one pastor uh, picked us up and he quoted bible verses to us for about a half an hour and he tried to convert us to christianity and when we said praise god we believe every word he didn't believe us I don't think he took us seriously. And, uh, you know, uh, finally on the day we reached Iowa, nobody wanted to give us a ride except one older driver who was uh, confused. And we're only 30 miles from home. And it was so tempting. He's got his map. He says, here, you know, show me where we are and where I'm supposed to go. I mean, I could have directed him right to our door. I thought, no, that's not really where he wants to go. And so we found ourselves walking again. And we took a shortcut, which, you know, a shortcut can be the longest distance between two points. And so we're on a dirt road now, and there's not a lot of cars, and it starts to rain, and it's red soil. And we are just soaked to top to bottom, and I'm laughing. Richard's mad because he's so close to home, and he's excited about it. But, you know, the first hour, two cars went by. Two. And they didn't stop. And so when the third car comes along and it's just raining buckets, he gets down on his knees in the mud and goes, please, like this. And the car stops. It's a white car with white shag carpet on the inside. We get in with our red, uh, you know, soiled boots. And I, we sit in the back. I will not exaggerate. It was a quarter mile until they took a turn and we were going straight. <laughs> we're back out in the rain. And so we finally, in the late afternoon, we finally arrive on Richard Street. We walk down the street till we get to the front door. We are hungry. We are dirty. We are smelly. We are wet. We are cold. We're, but we are home. We look like bums. I got a picture of it. And most of the people we did interact with looked at us and saw two homeless guys, undesirables, looking at these young guys going, what a waste of their lives. Look at them, you know, and uh, just throwing it away, throwing it away. And they treat us like nobodies, except for Richard's mom. Her only son was home. And she fed us like princes. I mean, I got to celebrate right along with Richard and uh, just for getting him home alive, you know, and in one piece. So if you ever think that you're a nobody, if you ever think that you don't matter, if you ever wonder if God even knows you exist, you got to remember that you may be a lot like those shepherds. 
Because they were the ones that God chose to celebrate with when he had some good news to share. He could have gone taken it anywhere. I mean, the sh- think about it. Shepherds despised their objects of disdain their, uh, and, and probably the, the butt of uh, degrading humor. They're nameless. And, and, you know, when people would come to the Jerusalem to sacrifice, every year they had to sacrifice an unblemished lamb. Where do you suppose they got that unblemished lamb? They didn't bring it with them. They bought it at the temple, remember? And these are the guys that were keeping those flocks in Bethlehem. These are the sheep that are born for sacrifice in Jerusalem. And it's kind of a subtle symbol that the child in Bethlehem that was to be born, named Jesus, was born to be sacrificed in Jerusalem. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So what happened next really is supernatural. It's spectacular. I mean, it's kind of a great joke. I mean, the angel of the Lord appears to the shepherds, not to Caesar Augustus, not to Quirinius, the governor, not to some super religious orthodox guys with squeaky clean hands and uh, stylish clothes. The angel came to lowly shepherds and nobody had ever heard of them. We don't even know their names now. And God must have sat up in heaven and just laughed at the irony and the fun of his choice to say, those are the guys I'm going to announce this to. I want to share this with them. Now, you might think that the sight or the sound of an angel... You know, it would always make a person feel good. You know, it's, that's the impression you get when you see the movies on TV that, you know, talk about angels. And, you know, they're bright, warm lights. They're fuzzy. They bring just the right mix of euphoria and well-being. But that's not what happened. I mean, the angel of the Lord was so magnificent, so spectacular, so righteous, so glorious, that it struck these ordinary men or boys. Most shepherds in Africa where I grew up were under 10 years old. With terror. I mean, but let's understand this. It's not the angels who give the peace. An angel is merely a messenger. The power is not in the messenger. It's in the message. It's not the angels who have the power. It's the one the angels represent. Now, frankly, I think for these shepherds and probably a lot of people, fear actually is good. Because for many people, the only way God can get their attention is to strike a little terror, a little fear into their heart, to have a problem. When life is easy and every ordinary and everything's working, lots of people forget, forget about God. Or they consider God to be a little more than an inconvenience. Or they come to God when it's convenient. I mean, we all know a host of stories about people who had little time for God until a job was lost. Or a child got sick, or an overdose was suffered, or a marriage was on the rocks, or a disaster struck, or a sickness was diagnosed, or somehow terror arrived. And when faced with our personal weakness, we're up against something greater than our ability can handle, we become afraid and God finally gets our attention finally brings us to our knees. At least that's what happened with the Bethlehem shepherds. See, you might be lined up, maybe you're set to have the less than perfect Christmas this year. Or maybe Christmas brings painful memories with it for you. So fear and pain can, we have a choice really. They can cause us to walk away from God or they can cause us to draw closer to him. Let God use those painful things to draw you closer to him. Because he really loves you. So God commissioned the angel of the Lord to break the silence of heaven and announce the birth of on the earth. You know, he could have chosen anyone to receive the message. And 
I mean, ordinary logic, wouldn't you start at the top? Wouldn't you start with Caesar Augustus or Quirinius or the high priest in Jerusalem at the temple or uh, maybe King Herod or, uh, you know, somebody that was thought of themselves as important. But God chose these little people, the insignificant people, the hardworking salt-of-the-earth shepherds. And after they got the news... They chose to believe the news. They chose to go see for themselves. They chose to worship the Savior and then go tell the world, anybody who would listen. I mean, they're telling the people who've actively avoided them. You understand that? And they don't care because the news is so great, they just got to share it. So enter the shepherds as a group for consideration of people of the year. The next group is the messengers of the moment, the angels. I think the angels should get an honorable mention because they're messengers. And the Greek word for messenger is angel. And the number one job of the angel is to communicate God's message. And so this is the most important message that the angels would ever deliver or ever did. Look at verse 10. The angel said to them, fear not. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. He's Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Then the angels joined by thousands of his buddies who have praised God with words in unison. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Among those on whom his favor rests. Or on the, among those with whom he's pleased. This is the angel message. Fear not. There's good news. Great joy for everybody. Unto you is born a savior. In the city of David, he is Christ the Lord. Now, the shepherds didn't know all the details. They didn't know nearly as much as you know. They didn't know anything about the virgin birth. They didn't know that Jesus was the son, uh, the, uh, the ancestor of uh, King David, that he's heir to the throne. They didn't have a theology of incarnation, that the baby was actually God in a human body. They didn't know that he would live a perfect life. They didn't have any idea about his substitu substitutionary death, that he would die on the cross to pay for human sin, or that he would be resurrected from the dead, um, or that he would return to earth. They didn't know any of that what they knew was that the angel of the lord told them they didn't ever have to fear again because they've got the best in the savior a savior has been born to you this is good news see the difference was because of god's gift it's jesus god can trade your fear for god's peace are you interested just to take your own fear and your own hurts and your own hopelessness and just give it to God and say, God, give me your peace instead. Because that's what God is offering. And that's the idea. Give glory to God and receive God's peace. You're not going to receive God's peace without giving glory to God. And so the angels bring this message and then whoosh, they just disappeared as quickly as they came. Seems like the angels in the Bible just never hung out very long. Uh, they're out, uh, you know, they're in and they're out. And they're just the messengers in the story. So they get an honorable mention. The real center of attention is the child of eternity. The one who forever reset the calendars of history. And he's the one to whom we give the glory. The child of eternity, Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Lord, Savior of the world. So it says, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. 
And they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. I would love to know what found meant. Did they go just banging on every door in town? Can you imagine if it was about four in the morning and they're banging on every day? Hey, do you have a baby here tonight? Hey, do you have a baby in your manger? Hey, you, you know, and they've got the whole town roused up. And then most people, of course, it's, you know, by 4.15 now, they're back to sleep. They're going back to bed. But then after they found him, and then, well, we'll get to that part. Um, when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. So on their way out of town, probably about 6 a.m., people still sleeping. Hey, guess what? We found the Savior. No, you got to know. He's down over on that street. Hey, wake up. You've got to, This is so big. You know what I'm saying? These, and they, people were irritated with them. You know, they're shepherds. Before they ever came to town, they interrupted them this way. Then they interrupted them going that way. I, anyway, some of those details are missing here in the story. But it says, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. And Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned back to their field, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. I don't think it concerned them who got woken up or disturbed in their process, do you? That's, you know, because they had such good news. What had the angels made known? Three things, okay? It answers the question, why would the tiny baby be our top candidate for all honors of the year and still today, 2,000 years later? Because number one, Jesus is the Savior. He's the Savior, and you need salvation, Jesus is the Savior, and you need salvation. That was Jesus' purpose. He's not about mangers and angels. He's not about trees and decorations and presents. He's not about holidays and happiness. you got a problem. It's called sin. And left untreated, it's killing you, and it will kill you. And Jesus is the only prescription that can address your terminal condition. The second thing is Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the promised one. He's God's man. He's the one that God had promised would come. He is extra special. He is the one of a kind and the only one. He's the Christ. And the third is that Jesus is Lord, which means he's God, 100% God. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the one we're talking about today, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The angel's message was glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Not everybody. Peace isn't for everybody. It's just those with whom God is pleased. So how do you make sure God is pleased with you? You give glory to God with your lips and with your whole life. So who should be our person of the year, the decade, the century, the millennium, the most outstanding person for all time, now and forever? It's Jesus. Come on, this isn't Sunday school, but you know, the answer is the same. It's Jesus. Philippians 2 says, God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Have you made him your savior? Have you put him in charge of your life? Do you want the peace of God in your heart and life? Because the only way is to use your life to give glory to God. We're going to do that with Sing Handel's Messiah here. You might not know it very well. Come stand next to somebody up here. These are pros. And just sing loud. And follow the director. And uh, let's praise God.
Let's pause and pray. Dear Jesus, you are King of kings and Lord of lords, and you will reign forever. You came as a baby, but you didn't stay that way. And we are growing in our understanding of you, so may we take a mature approach to saying, Lord, you be in charge of my life. Amen.